right, at this time as we continue to talk about the importance of God's Word, I want us to talk through the, to do a, a, an overview of the, of the, the content of the Bible. And we're going to talk about just the, the, what God has given to us, how He's given to us His Word in the different books, and just do an overview just to get the big picture as we uh, try to read the Bible, through the Bible, read it every day, the, to think about what all is there, what we're to be processing, and the great treasure God has given to us in these uh, books. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 22 in the New Testament, and they all fit together in, a, in one story, in a masterful way. The Bible is the uh, greatest book that there is. And um, a testimony to that is how it is a collection of over 40 different authors written over thousands of years, yet it all fits together in one story in a perfect way. That shows the divine authorship of God, that He is orchestrating all of this, and it's His communication to us that He used uh, prophets as His mouthpieces to speak. And that's how God has done all of His work, is that uh, He has used human instruments as tools through which He does His work on the earth. He could have done it all by Himself. He could have wrote the book Himself. Just like, you know, when He wrote the Ten Commandments at first, He wrote it Himself on the stone, gave it to Moses. God could have wrote the Bible that way if He wanted to, but He chose to use human instruments through the mouthpieces to whom he spoke, but it was God being the author behind it all. And so he, he used 40 different authors to write these 66 books. That means some of them wrote more than one book, which we understand if we think about it. Moses writes five. Paul, probably the biggest. Paul has... I don't know the number for sure. It's around 13 or so in the New Testament. Uh, Paul's has, has most books with all the letters he wrote to the churches. But God is speaking through all of them and speaks His Word. And He does it through different types of books and different perspectives and themes. And that's what I want to bring out today. So let's start at the beginning. The Old Testament can be divided up into three or four different categories or sections. I would, I would say four. I'm going to share four today when the, some of the New Testament writers comment on the Old Testament and Jesus being one of them, they, they uh, break it up in three sections. So there's different sections of the Old Testament that we need to understand of what the message is there. The first five books are the beginning Laws of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses. Genesis, the first book, very unique, and literally means the beginnings. It tells the beginning of everything. It tells the beginning of the universe, of the physical world, of man, life on the earth, human beings. It tells us how all that started, how, it was made, how God made it in six little days. In his power. It didn't take billions, it didn't evolve over billions of years. 
God made it, and it's a, it's a surprise. He took six days to do it. He could have done it all instantly. Uh, and Genesis gives us that information of all the beginnings of life. Then of very significant element is the beginning of the nation of Israel with Abraham. That's the nation that God would make on the earth through whom he would bring the salvation through it in the person of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. God made Israel so that Jesus could come through Israel and be born there. And Genesis tells that story, the beginning of the works of God on the earth and the laws. Then through Moses, he gives the laws of God to the nation of Israel. And that's what we have after he frees them out of Egypt, this pictures our salvation from sin. He gives them his laws to obey. And that's God's purpose for us. When he saves us and brings us out of our bondage of sin, he, give, he brings us into a life of obedience. He wants us to live a life of obeying him. Not out of duty, not out of uh, obligation, but out of love and freedom that we get to serve God now. And all that's pictured in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. So there's real meaning there. You know, when you read those books, particularly the last part of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it gets kind of tedious with all the laws and stuff. And a lot of people really get turned off by that. And they even skip over those parts and say, I don't want to read that, it's boring. But it has a purpose in God's Word that this shows us that, you know, it's helpful. How many times have you asked to, to thought, say, God, why don't you just give me an answer for this thing? What's the answer for this situation? What's the answer for this situation? Well, that's what he was doing for Israel in Exodus and those books. He was giving them answers for particular situations. And we can gain wisdom from that. Even though... Some of those laws were for Israel as a nation for that time for how they were to carry out justice. And in the New Testament, those, much of those have been replaced and altered now in the New Testament era. But there's, there's wisdom there of, of how God would deal with a situation and that we have laws to obey. We're to obey God. We're to seek to live by His will and His ways. And so that's all presented to Israel as a country in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then about their worship and the sacrifices and how there had to be a blood sacrifice. That, that shows us the basis of salvation for us today, that Jesus had to die and shed his blood because of how God would atone for sins. So there's much meaning there. And that's the first, day, that's the first section of the Bible the first five books, the beginnings, and then the laws of God for Israel. Moses is the first writing prophet. He's very significant. He has a very uh, honored place, and you'll see that. You read it when you read about him there. God comments how special Moses was because how, of how God used him. He was the first writing prophet to write down the Bible. There were other prophets before him. But they didn't, they didn't write anything down. They just spoke uh, God's Word. Enoch was one of those. Abraham, of course. Adam is listed as a uh, 
patriarch, early patriarch, prophet. So Moses is the first one who writes it down the book. He's the first author of the Bible. That's significant. He has the first five books. He wrote about 1400 B.C. So that's when the Bible was first written down. Before that, it was, there were some oral truths that were passed along. We don't know how God gave that information to Moses. It's not recorded. Whether he gave it to him directly or if Moses was writing down past oral tradition. We don't know that. Either, God could have done it either way. God could have preserved the creation story, you know, and, and, and we know he did. It's uh, obvious and it's common sense he did that Adam told his children how God made everything. They told their children how God made everything. It was passed down. The, the record about the flood, the, 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 the information about the flood was passed down. <clears throat> Moses could have just written down that oral tradition or God could have gave him direct revelation. And it's not told how God did that. But he did it one of the two ways. Moses was the first one to write it all down. After the first five books, then we have what's called, I'm going to call it the historical books, of uh, the history of Israel. And it starts with Joshua. And as I said last Sunday, I've really been struck anew with the uh, wonderful example of Joshua in the Bible. There's not much negative with Joshua. He has a great example. He's a bright light in the Old Testament. And one that we probably get more study to. Especially us men. He's a great role model for us men. He stood up against, alone against the crowd. He stood for God's truth and said, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I don't care what y'all are doing. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And he led the nation of Israel to follow the Lord and um, did everything God wanted him to do. That was a great example. So it starts with Joshua and the history of taking the land. Then they go in the land. Then, they, they, then as positive Joshua is, Judges is negative. Judges is a hard book to read through. It is so dark. And why is it dark? Because of the sin of the people. Not God's fault, it's the people's fault, and it's our story too. And it shows us what we need to be on guard about. Their lack of faith, their following idols and pleasures. And, and, and the end of the book is one of the hardest parts in all the Bible to read. It's just like, there's just not much positive there other than God's mercy still with them. And... Uh, God helped them to get through it. So Joshua judges uh, Ruth, and then you get into 1 Samuel, 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. All those are the history of the nation of Israel functioning as a nation. And Samuel significant. He was a very significant prophet who rose up after Moses, who led Israel. He's actually, it's a transition between the judges and, and the kings where jo, uh, Samuel is said to be a judge. He's the last judge. And then it transitions then that they then get a monarch, king, who leads them in battle. Uh, a, a major work of the judge was to be the military leader of the nation. And that then shifted to the kings. And then you had the prophets along with him. But Samuel was a, both a judge and a prophet, and he anointed the first king. And you have all the history of Israel through 
the prophets who led them and then the kings. And that is recorded then is what is the topic in First and Second Samuel. Where it presents David, Saul first, then David, and then the other kings into the book of First and Second Kings. First and Second Chronicles is a second version of the books of Kings. And there's a lot of uh, valuable truths there from examples of when they did it wrongly and the consequences they, they suffered and then when they did right and how it blessed them. There's a lot of truth about life where you see how God deals with people and the way He deals with people then is the way He deals with people now. It's the way He deals with us. And that if we sin and rebel against God, God disciplines us. There's consequences. It's not even this thinking today in the modern church that <clears throat> I can just come as I am and I can go out and live as I want to and God just accepts all of that and it's all okay. And I'm going to heaven and, and, uh, and, and, and I have everything that I can want. That's just not the God of the Bible. And that's not how life works. God disciplines His children and the Old Testament shows that very clearly time and time again. You had many, most of the kings did evil. And you'll have this commentary, you'll say, this king lived, reigned for this many years and he did evil on the side of the Lord. It summed up his life, meaning he just did not serve the Lord, did not seek the Lord, did not serve the Lord. And then there were a few kings, they were in the minority, but there were a few that stuck out to say they did good in the sight of the Lord. And those are the good examples, which is David, his, Solomon for the first part of his life, and then Asa and Jehoshaphat are two of the real good examples of later kings, and then Hezekiah. But Asa and Jehoshaphat were the, were the best ones after David, and they have wonderful testimonies to read about. But even then, even them, at times in their life, uh, made mistakes, and God disciplined them every time. God disciplined them. And there's great insightful truths about that in those books. So you have that history, that history section right in the middle that's interesting to read, but it's also very informative about how God deals with us as people here on the earth and governments and families. Okay, then those books end with Israel being disciplined as a nation going into captivity and then they come back after the exile and then we have three books of that Ezra Nehemiah Esther Ezra the great prophet who helped restore the nation spiritually and then Nehemiah who rebuilt the cities physically and Esther in her role in captivity uh, to save the Jewish people and how God used her as queen and and that really is the that those are historical books too at that point, it shifts to a next section that we would call wisdom. I call it wisdom literature. It can be called poetry, but I don't like using that because it's not just poetry and it's not typical what we think of as poetry. It's really wisdom literature is really the point. God's trying to communicate wisdom in a very uh, stylish way, poetical way. Uh, and you have the books Job. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those five. And Job is just a great one of great, great leadership, a great example for men 
as Job was a leader of his family and a leader for God, and, was willing, and, and God called him to suffer for no fault of his own, and Job endured that and struggled with that and, and uh, learned to deal with that with his faith. And, and what valuable lessons that is for us to read that. And then Psalms, there's such valuable uh, words there for dealing with life and worshiping God and expressing our struggles to God in prayer. Uh, that's what you have recorded through there in many of David's Psalms and then other, some other writers. And uh, Psalms is really a manual for life. Very, very important. Proverbs, very important as a manual for family discipleship, for fathers to use in discipling their children, and for children to see God's plan for their the home and for their following their parents, following the leadership of their father, and how that's God's design and that's God's plan, and that's the path of blessing. And if you, if you will follow that, you'll be wise, and if you don't, you're a fool, in, according to Proverbs. You'll live a foolish life. You'll go astray. Ecclesiastes is, is somewhat of a difficult book. It's very difficult to understand. It's, it's, it's come up confusing. It sounds like it contradicts other parts of the Bible, but if you, it really doesn't. You just have to understand the perspective. Solomon is talking from a, a very human, earthly perspective of uh, saying how life on the earth is meaningless, meaning because of death. That, that he's, he's really mourning about being under the curse of sin and how you can do, you know, do everything you're supposed to do and everything still ends up in suffering and death because that's where we're at on our own fault and how, how, uh, how sad that is and how dark that is and that's life. And, and, and in the book, Solomon just uh, mourns over the, how uh, depressing that is really because it is, but, and that's, and don't misunderstand, he's not denying God's salvation and the hope of having God. He's just focusing just on that element, is the point of Ecclesiastes. He's only focusing on the human element of suffering and death, and he's just looking at that. But even in that book, there's some statements of, you know, but fear God and keep his commandments, and we're going to have salvation in the end. So there's value in each one of these books. We have to understand the perspective, though, that they're coming from and what the writer is focusing on. Song of Solomon is a unique book with a specific focus on marriage love. And uh, with Solomon and his wife, it's very specific for that and can be very detailed. And I probably recommend, probably not something you ought to study in detail until you're ready for entering into marriage in a relationship. Uh, but there's great truths there about God's plan for relationships and how they work. And a great truth for you younger ones is it says, do not awaken love until it pleases. And that's saying, be patient and wait and don't jump into a relationship and love relationships prematurely before you're ready until it's time for it. And that means to your time to be married. And that's when you're an adult. Teenagers should not get married. That's my word for you, and that's what I think the book of Ecclesiastes is saying. Teenagers, children should not get married. You're a child until you're an adult, and the Bible identifies that age as 20, and you, just, you should not get married before you're an adult. You should not be involved in a love relationship before you're ready to be married and an adult. If you do, you're, you're setting yourself up 
to do things prematurely and make mistakes, and that's the point of the book of Song of Solomon. I mean, that's one of the truths of the book of Song of Solomon. And statistics bear that out. You can look at secular studies, and they'll show, they'll study marriage, divorce rates, and people who got married before, while they were teenagers, before 20, 19, 18, the, the failure rate, the divorce rate for those marriages is, is, is uh, really high. After that, it drops. I think that's a testimony to God's truth that only adults should get married and uh, you're not an adult when you're a teenager. You're, a young, you're getting there, but you're not an adult yet. And so just be patient and wait. Your time will come. It seems like just yesterday that I was in my 20s and now I'm 56. I know it seems slower than I was. It seems slower than, but time moves on. Just be patient for God's plan, God's will. Then we move the, into the last section of the Old Testament, which is the prophet books. And that's where I make up my fourth. Jesus did three. He called it the law, the prophets, and the writings. And what he did is he combined the prophets with the historical books. And that's legitimate. Of course, Jesus does it. Of course, it's legitimate. But what he does is because the history books were written by prophets, they put all those together. But I broke them up just to help us to realize the different perspective of the history and then the prophets focus on either you get historical information in the prophet books you get more God's proclamation of truths of his message to the people in that time in their nation you have five major prophets major because of the size of their books their big books and the first one is Isaiah who heads it all leads it off and he is just a tremendous prophet his writings you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah is a, just a tremendous book. It's like a miniature Bible. It has 66 chapters, like the book, Bible has 66 books. And they're divided in, this, in a similar way. 30, the first 39 chapters are like the Old Testament in its message. And the last 22 chapters in Isaiah are like the New Testament in its message about redemption. And the first is about judgment. So it's just really neat how God orchestrated that. And uh, you can see God's design. And Isaiah has the most prophecies about the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And it has the very clear prophecies about the future salvation of Israel and how Israel will uh, reign over the earth through the kingdom of the Messiah. There's tremendous prophecies in there from Isaiah. And if you don't read that book and you don't study it, you won't know that's coming in the future. And that's why some people deny that, is because they really don't study the Old Testament. And they don't think there's going to be a thousand-year reign in Israel for, for on the earth. <clears throat> they think God's going to take us all to heaven, and we're just going to be there, and this earth's not going to function anymore. And that's not what you find in the Bible. When you read all 66 books, you find that he says, this kingdom's going to reign on, through Israel from Jerusalem and Revelation tells us it's going to be for a thousand years. And then he's going to destroy the earth, but he's going to make a new earth, so we're going to be on an earth forever, and heaven's just going to be joined to it. It's all going to be made one. Jeremiah is a great prophet who prophesied at the end of the nation of Israel as they went into captivity, and he's known as the weeping prophet because he saw nothing but pain, suffering, and death, and he weeped over it. That's what sin brings to us. And that's a lesson we need to heed. Sin at first looks really good, tempting, and it looks like 
we ought to go after it, but the end is pain, heartache, and suffering, and we need to think about that before we make any mistake on the front end. Lamentations is his book, Jeremiah's book of weeping over their sin. Ezekiel, great prophet after the uh, captivity. Daniel, of course, after the captivity and his great prophecies of the kingdom of Jesus coming in the future. It's called the Little Apocalypse or Little Revelation. It gives a lot of information about the end times. And, of course, Daniel's a great example. Then you have 12 minor prophets, meaning short books, and they all have great truths. <clears throat> they... All of them present basically two things. They present God's, uh, or Israel's sin and God's judgment on them. Then every one of them close with a message of hope for the future of the kingdom of the Messiah coming to the earth. Every one of them. So it's neat to look for that as you read through those books. Then we go into the New Testament and we have sections in the same way. We have the first four books as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that give the story of Jesus' ministry for three and a half years on the earth and all that he did, and not all he did, but the, some of the things he did and said, the miracles he did, and the uh, lessons that he taught, the messages that he taught. And then it ends, every one of them end then with his account of his death and his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and his completion of salvation to give us the gift of eternal life that we can repent and believe on and know that we're forgiven and know we have eternal life because Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's what our salvation is based on. <clears throat> then Jesus uh, returns to heaven and then there's a, a historical book. One historical book in the New Testament is Acts where it gives the uh, record of the early church in the years following the uh, resurrection and the return of Jesus to heaven. And it tells about the starting of the churches and spreading out. Written by uh, Luke, uh, who was a unique author there in the New Testament. He's called a physician. Consequently, I came across this here recently. Of We always hear about Luke being called a doctor. How do we know Luke was a doctor? Where do we get that? I couldn't remember where we got it. There's only one time where Luke is called a doctor, and that's how we know, and that's in the book of Colossians. If I remember right, Colossians, Paul refers to Luke as the beloved physician. That's the only time he's called that, and that's how we know by that little glimpse from Paul that he was a physician. And it's, it's thought he's a Gentile, but we don't know that. He, he, probably, he could have been a, a Jewish man, but we don't know. But he was a physician, and he writes... He writes uh, Acts and tells who he's writing to, a man named Theophilus, giving him an account of it. He said he's watched those things from the beginning. So, so Luke was an observer from the early days of Jesus, even though he's not mentioned in the Gospels. Then we have the letters to the churches. And these are the books of Paul. There's 12 books from Paul. Okay, I said 13 because I, I will add a Hebrews in there. That's debated. I think Paul wrote... Hebrews, even though he didn't identify himself. There are 12 clearly that Paul identifies himself. And he writes to different churches, and then he writes to three different, or two young preachers, Timothy and Titus, and writes a letter to them, and that makes up his 12th book. So he writes a letter to the church at Rome, 
to the church at Corinth, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then the Galatian churches, <clears throat> those were groups of churches, the church at Ephesus, and Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica, and he's writing letters to these churches, and he gives important truths about living for Jesus and uh, important doctrine. Same way in the Old Testament, prophet books, minor prophets. In the New Testament letters to the churches, Paul writes two basic sections. He writes a doctrine, says these are the things you need to believe about Jesus and about God's work on the earth. And then the last part of the book is here's how you live that out. Here's how you live it out practically in your relationships with other people. So you have those two basic sections. That's what you look for in those books. And uh, that gives us valuable information. So then he writes to Timothy and Titus, young ministers in the faith, that he, as an older man, was uh, discipling them on how to be pastors. Oh, okay, I think I overlooked Philemon. That was from Paul. Paul writes to Philemon. That's 13. Uh, Philemon is a church member that he writes to, that a servant that he had that escaped, he sends him back because he was saved and he sends him back to him. And Paul writes that book. It's kind of a unique perspective. But it pictures us being saved out of sin and now not being a slave, having to have to serve God, but we want to serve God because He's freed us and forgiven us. So there's spiritual truths in all of these books. There's human elements in all of them, but they are, the point is to communicate spiritual truths to us about the kingdom of God and about a relationship with God. Then we come to Hebrews. I think Paul wrote it. Whoever wrote it hid his authorship, but at the end, the things that do it for me is that Paul says two things. He says, he mentions Timothy and he says, know that our brother Timothy has been set free and uh, I'm sending him to you. Well, Timothy worked with Paul. Paul's the one that sent Timothy around everywhere. So that's a big evidence to me. But the biggest is every one of Paul's letters, the other 13 where Paul wrote, he ended it all the same way with one phrase. He ended it with, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Paul ended all of his letters that way, without fail. Do you know how Hebrews ends? May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. To me, that's Paul signing his letter without actually putting his name down there. So to me, I, I think that's heavy evidence that Paul wrote it, even though it's, it's, not, it's not a significant detail if another writer wrote it, but uh, I think Paul did. I think that was his 14th letter. And he, he shows how God's salvation was pictured in the Old Testament sacrifices and all that God gave to Israel. Then a, a, a letter from James, a pastor, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. Then a letter from Peter. Then John. So we have at the end of the Old Test New Testament, we have letters from other apostles, Peter and John. And James is included in that number now as an early pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. Then uh, Jude, I think it's... We're not sure exactly who that is, but it, it's likely another half-brother of Jesus. And then Revelation, of course, 
caps off the whole book of the Bible, and it's a fitting end, whereas Genesis, you have the beginning of everything, Revelation gives the end of everything, and that shows us the Bible's complete, and it ended with Revelation, and there's not any additional books afterward. Because when, when you get to the end of the story, you don't have to keep writing. So Revelation is a fitting end, and it gives us the end of everything, and all eternity, in a masterful way, in a way we, can, we can't understand it, with proper study, and it's just a fitting end of the victory of Jesus when He returns to punish all sin, and He'll do so in His great power. So that's the treasure of the Word of God and how valuable it is. We need to be reading it and understanding it, and part of it is understanding all these different sections of it, how it's communicated to us so that we understand it fully and how it was written. All right, that's the wonder of the Bible. May this spark us to uh, desire to read it, study it more this week. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great treasure of the Bible. Give us understanding of all these books and how you put them together and all the writers and what they wrote. And just help us to understand all your truths, to be strengthened in our faith, to be obedient to you, to know what you want us to do and what you don't want us to do so that we may do your will and be a pleasing to you. For as Hebrews says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God for you are a consuming fire. Help us to serve you in, with reverence, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Help us to have the right attitude to, towards you and forgive us for falling short and for our, our uh, getting distracted away from what you want us to do. Revive us, strengthen us to do your will in this evil day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.